Genesis chapter 5, please. Genesis 5, as we continue our series through the book of Genesis, last week was kind of an overview of this chapter as we're, giving, we're given the lineage of these ten patriarchs from Adam to Noah. We considered if there's a meaning in their names, a message there in those names. I see room for it, but you can find all kind of definitions, so whatever. Nothing really to debate over, amen? You don't have to go down the road and start the first Baptist church of the first ten patriarchs of Genesis. Um, We also considered why people were living so long before the flood and why it gradually decreased after the flood until what we see today. And you can go back and listen last week if you want the answer. (laughs) Most importantly, we took note of the reoccurring phrase in this genealogy, unique to this genealogy, and that is, and he died. This phrase reveals the certainty of God's word as he gave it to man, gave it to Adam. God promised death would come through sin. And we see how death has now been passed upon all mankind. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And because sin is our problem, our sin must be dealt with. We find the answer in Christ. He paid all of our sins, paid for all of our sins on the cross. And when we receive His free gift of salvation through faith, He takes away our sins and He replaces it with a robe of righteousness. Romans 5.19 For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Once we're in Christ, He also takes away our death problem and He gives us eternal life. We still have to drop this robe of flesh. But our spirit is now quickened in Christ. And that's the part of us that will never die. Romans 5.21 That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, knowing all this, it makes you wonder why people reject the message. How could any refuse Christ after all He's done for us? No wonder the Bible says in Hebrews 2.3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Well, I said last week we would do a flyover of chapter 5. This week we'll start getting a little bit deeper into this chapter. Let's do so by reading verses 1 through 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them and called their name Adam, in the day when they were created. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were eight hundred years and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years and he died. So we see here verse 1 begins with the book of the generations of Adam. And then we are given... All these, we're told they had all these sons and daughters, but we're only given the line of one man, and that is Seth. Why the line of Seth and not any other of the children that Adam and Eve would have given birth to? 
To get the answer, we have to remember that the Bible is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible isn't just a good read. It isn't just a literary masterpiece. It isn't just a history book. But the Bible is God's Word to mankind to reveal to us His Son, Jesus Christ. Some of your Bibles have a title just above the beginning of the Revelation and it says, The Revelation of St. John the Divine. Well, that's a problem. I think mine says it, so just pump the brakes. I'm not mad at you. That's added by man, by the way. Verse 1 clears it all up in, in, in Revelation where it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what your Bible is. It is a revelation of our Savior to man. Once we understand this truth, we know why God now focuses in on the line of of Seth. It's because the Messiah would arrive through Seth's line. Remember at the end of Genesis 4, we, we read after Seth that then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. By the time we get to Noah in the next chapter, shortly before the flood arrives, we'll read in verse 9 that Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. So this is the line God's going to use to bring the Messiah into the world. And I've mentioned, in this, I've mentioned this in a previous message, but this is what the genealogy of Luke chapter 3 records for us. Let me just skip down to where it mentions Noah. Luke chapter 3, verses 36 through 38, speaking of Jesus, it says, which was the son of Noah, which was the son of Lamech, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Mahalaliel, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. And so that verifies Genesis chapter 5. And so Jesus is going to eventually, some 4,000 years down the line, show up as a result of this line. Of course, we know he's virgin born. But Seth gets all the attention because he's the appointed seed. We saw at the end of chapter 4 that the promised seed of God is going to arrive, which God promised in Genesis 3.15. Moving on in verse 1 of our text, we are reminded again of how God created man. Mankind did not evolve. We have a creator. And one day we're going to stand before our maker. Matthew Henry wrote, Man is not his own maker, therefore he must not be his own master. Let me read it again. Because some of you are like, what? What? Somebody said amen? Man is not his own maker, therefore he must not be his own master. And the fact that man was first created by God from the clay... And woman was taken from a rib of Adam and and God made her. They began to reproduce upon the earth. Uh, All of this blows up certain heretical theology. You see, when we understand that man was created, you've got a problem with some certain well-known religions. And I'm not being ugly. I'm just being your pastor. Fair enough. There is a false teaching out there about man having existed before being created by God upon this earth. 
from the website mormonbeliefs.org. They have a page entitled, The Preexistence, Life Before Earth. And you'll read the following on this website. Quote, Mormons believe in a life preceding our existence on earth. Mormons call this pre-existence, pre-earth life, or pre-mortal existence. Before we were born on earth, we lived in the presence of our Heavenly Father and His Spirit children. In this pre-mortal existence, we attended a council with Heavenly Father's other spirit children. At the council, Heavenly Father presented His great plan of happiness or the plan of salvation, which was ratified by all of us. Now it goes on to speak about how on those who are on the earth now, we were permitted to experience mortality and then progress to eternal life. Well, that's backwards of Genesis. We were created immortal, and we unfortunately now experience mortality. Not the other way around. We sinned, we became mortal. We aren't progressing towards eternal life. We needed Christ to die for us. And if you're wondering why you can't remember existing before this life, it's because of a teaching they have called the veil of forgetfulness. Well, that's real convenient. With a veil like that, you can invent any doctrine you want. You all owe me your allegiance. Because in the previous life, that's what you did. You just can't remember because of a veil of forgetfulness. Listen, while I'm on it, I don't know why the Lord's leading me this way, but Mormonism is based off the angel Moroni. I don't have time to break down that name. What did Paul say? If any man or even an angel bring you another gospel, don't believe it. Well, anyway, we were created by God. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Genesis 2.7. Genesis 2.22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he woman and brought her unto the man. God created man and woman on day six. We are not from eternity past. We are not the offspring of some heavenly father and heavenly mother but we are a unique creation of God Almighty. So just stay with the Bible. In the beginning, God created. We'll come back to being created in the likeness of God just a moment, but in verse 2, we are reminded how God created them male and female. We've covered all this before as well. This is just a reminder passage here for us. Amen. God bless you, Riley. We've covered all this while in chapter 1. I'm not going to stay here long. But who would have thought that this statement of being created male and female would become so necessary in our day? And I'm not being ugly again. But God created only two genders. God never messes up by placing a man in a woman's body. He never messes up by placing a woman in a man's body. And to show you my heart, I'm, I'm being serious. If you are genuinely struggling with this, you come and talk to me. Amen. You say, I'll be embarrassed. Don't worry, you won't be the first one from this church to come and talk to me about this issue. This is the day in which we live. 
This phrase, male and female, is found in our Bible seven times. Four of them are a reference to creation. One is a reference uh, to those who would become defiled and have to be put outside the camp, like leprosy or something like that. And then two occurrences are in reference to the animals brought into the ark. Now, why would God tell Noah, you got to bring male and female animals into the ark? It's obvious, right? For reproductive reasons, you need a male and a female. God wanted them to repopulate the earth with animals, the animals to reproduce. And God wanted mankind to repopulate the earth, so he brought Noah and his wife into the ark. He brought Noah's sons and their wives into the ark to be fruitful and to multiply, and that's what God told Adam and Eve. And so this demands that God must create them male and female, or else there's no reproduction. This used to be common knowledge. I, I've said it before. I'm, I'm going to say this again because I think it's worth repeating. I think it's thought-provoking. Um, the homosexual and transgender movement disproves the theory of evolution. Think about it. The theory of evolution teaches the propagation of a species through the survival of the fittest. But you cannot propagate a species, uh, cannot propagate the human race through same genders. So we can't be evolving better and wiser and smarter and stronger if we're turning to same genders. It disproves the theory of evolution. Our species would die off if we are evolving this way. An article posted on SeedScientific.com on June the 3rd, 2022, entitled, How Many Genders Are There According to Science? Breaking the Myth. It opens with this. In today's society, there's a lot of talk about gender, especially among the young generations. But how many genders are there according to science? It's a common misconception that there are only two genders, male and female. But science proves there is actually more. Contrary to sex, gender isn't binary. It's fluid and ever-changing, which means that there are an endless number of possibilities, end quote. And yet the same page promotes evolution. It's It's a contradiction. And you'll find this contradiction between gender confusion and evolution on almost all of the scientific sites. It's no wonder Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verses 20 and 21, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Last I heard, there are now 58 genders you can select on Facebook. On medicine.net, or medicinenet.com, you'll find a list of 72 different gender identifications to choose from. And this is now called a scientific fact. So while it may seem redundant to maybe our ears to hear God created them male and female yet again in chapter 5, and actually we're told twice in Genesis and then twice by Jesus Christ, God knew it needed to be stated clearly for the day in which we live. And so let God be true, but every man a liar. Go with God's word, and you'll discover the truth. Now, I realize I'm just giving you a bunch of miniature sermons, but stay with me. Also of note in verse 2 is something else I've covered in a previous chapter. I didn't study this week, okay? That's what I did. <laughs> I'm teasing, I did. It's this interesting phrase where God called the man, where God called the man and the woman he created by one name, Adam. 
God created the first man and woman, and God joined them together in the first marriage. And God called them both by the same name, Adam. And it could just be as simple as God calling them both man. I mean, that's what, you know, mankind, that's what Adam means. It's, it also means a man of low degree, and since Adam was taken from the ground, maybe it's a reminder forever, don't forget where you came from, look upward. Um, because uh, another word for Adam means ruddy, which is a reddish color, like the, the red clay. But I don't think we would be off base if we saw a deeper application in that we are with our spouses to be one flesh. Well, three husbands agreed. And <laughs> therefore, they share the same name. It's no coincidence that a wife has historically taken her husband's last name as her own. It's an outward indication that a couple has become one. I'm not mad at you if you hyphenate, do your thing. I'm just saying this is historically the case. And it's, it's also an indication that he is the head. I am taking his name. Genesis 2, 23 and 24, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Matthew 9, 19, 6, Jesus said, Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Excuse me, let not man put asunder. So your marriage is to be viewed as God having joined you together. Amen. That's what Jesus said. Amen. What God have joined together, let not man put asunder. I, I know there's difficult circumstances. I'm not here to draw up hurts, but I'm just giving you Bible here. And so what you ought to work at is never allowing anything to drive a wedge between you and your spouse. Your spouse should be your closest friend. Don't worry, we're not going to re-preach everything I already covered earlier in Genesis. <sighs> now, I mentioned earlier how verse 1 begins with, this is the book of the generations of Adam. I find this intriguing because there's only one other verse in the Bible that has the same verbiage, and it's in Matthew 1.1, which says the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. I find this interesting because when the Bible begins to chronicle the line from which Christ will uh, arrive here in chapter 5, it opens with the book of the generations of Adam. When the New Testament begins, it opens in Matthew 1.1 with the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Why is this significant? Well, we see in verse 1 of our text that when God created man, He did so in His likeness. Remember Genesis 1.26 and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, he him, male and female created he them. Adam was created in the likeness of God. What a thought. Listen, we still bear a likeness of God, but Adam was perfectly sinless. He was the image of God. He was God's likeness. 
in every way. Adam was supposed to reproduce children with Eve in the likeness of God. But with the entrance of sin, God's image became marred. Look at verse 3. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image. What a shame. Seth was not born in the likeness of God. He was born in the likeness of Adam. This is a sad verse. This is a sad transition that has taken place. The same is true for all who have ever lived. We bear Adam's likeness. Job 15, 14, What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Psalm 51, 5, The man after God's own heart said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Adam now being in a fallen state and corrupted by sin could only produce children in his image. It's a sinful image. It's a defiled image. It's a mortal image. All of Adam's race is born opposite of how God created Adam. We are born spiritually dead. We're not born with the likeness and image of God's holiness. And even if one is born again and they reproduce, they cannot pass Christ's righteousness along in the bloodstream. A sinner only produces sinners. And a saint can't produce a saint physically through birth. The new birth is only a work of God when a sinner trusts in Christ as his Savior. And because the first man, Adam, could not produce righteous saints through physical birth, we needed another Adam. We needed another Adam to come and make us righteous through the process of the spiritual rebirth. Because we failed. We corrupted ourselves. We needed another Adam. Another perfectly sinless Adam. So we have the book of the generations of Adam. And he died. But our New Testament, or the New Covenant, opens with the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.45, And so it is written, The first man, Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Because the first Adam could not produce a holy offspring, but could only reproduce death, God sent Jesus Christ, called the last Adam, to be a quickening spirit. Which means He makes our spirits alive through Christ once we trust Him. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy... For the great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. Colossians 2.13 And you being dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Thank God for the last Adam. Our Lord Jesus Christ came down to man to straighten all of this out. And now He offers us eternal life through His sacrificial death. He came, get this now, He came to restore that image in us. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 47 through 50. The first man, 
that's Adam, is of the earth, earthy. The second man, that's speaking of the second Adam in context, is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So a transformation has to take place. This is why the day is coming when we'll receive a new body. Whoop. Which is why in 1 Corinthians 15, it continues by saying this in verses 51 through 54. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, or we shall not all die. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. This corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, speaking of God, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned un, uh, like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is even able to subdue all things unto Himself. 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What a day that will be, amen? We will get rid of this body of flesh, and we'll have a glorified body. In the meantime, listen, believers are supposed to be being conformed into what? The image of Christ. We're talking about God's image. Just a quick observational side note. After we get that genealogy in Luke 3, there's no more genealogy in the Bible. I, I like this. <laughs> there's no more in the Word of God. Why? The promised seed has arrived. It no longer matters. My daddy was the pastor. The only thing that matters now is his image. Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 1.4, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Now, if you want to spend all your money on ancestry, whatever, I don't care. I don't have to because I know my mom and dad, and that's all I've ever known. Um, okay, I know one aunt, a couple of outliers. Other than that, that's it. Um, yeah, some outliers. We won't get into that today. Amen. The more you learn, the more you realize my family line was jacked up. So why do I want to learn about it? Amen. Don't give heed to endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. Now, this is what I want to close with, okay? We find that there's a tale of two Adams. The first man, Adam. The second man, Adam. The first Adam, the last Adam. Your life or death is in one of those camps. The first Adam brings death. The second Adam brings life. 
The first Adam brings physical death. The second Adam brings a spiritual new birth. You can either experience the miracle of eternal life with the new birth, or you can refuse Christ. And the Bible says you'll experience what? The second death. It's one or the other. Revelation 21.8 But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, you say, well, I'm not none of those. And all liars, oops, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3.3, Verily, verily, I say unto, unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Romans 5.9, Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. <laughs> Hallelujah. God has made this, listen, God has made this so very simple. I like the fact that uh, it's not all these ideologies and, and we have to kind of hem-haul around and pick and choose. And No, God said, look, there, there's one or the other. Yeah, that's right. uh, it's black and white. Don't, don't you like it when your boss makes it clear? Yeah. Well, I didn't really know what you wanted, and I just kind of took a stab at it. And it came out pumpkin spice, you know. Uh, it's that time of year. Amen? We gotta... Are you having flashbacks, PTSD? What's going on? Oh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, poor Karen. Pray for her. Um, two choices. First Adam, second Adam. Death or life. Physical death or spiritual life. New birth or second death. The straight gate or the broad gate. It's all so simple. So where are you at today? Is there anybody here still in the first Adam? Will you experience the second death? Or have you experienced the new birth? And if you are in Christ, listen to me now. Are you willingly giving yourself to the process of being conformed into the image of His dear Son? That is why Christ came. That we might have that image restored that was marred back there by sin. Let's pray.